0: Hi, all. Welcome to the show, Tea Time. It's your host, Adela. During each episode of this podcast, I get the privilege to chat with inspiring and creative women from underrepresented backgrounds. I hope that you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy creating each episode for you. Okay. Hi, Steph. Hello, Adela. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so before we click record, I was asking you. How you were feeling, you know, and I just wanted to 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 check in. I mean, with everything that was happening, not just in the US, but just the waves of Asian hate. It's it's exhausting.
1: Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's it's been especially draining after hearing about the mass shootings in Atlanta, because it's so you know, like the attack was so racially motivated and I feel like it's so entrenched in like America's history with like the fetishization of Asian women. And that's like, like, you know, that a lot has to do a lot with my work. Then the work I do, like I I tell, you know, Asian female stories. Um, I touch upon like sexuality and power in women. So for me, that was just so disheartening because I just feel like, Were well I don't know because I'm like is it has this so I feel for for me it feels like this has always been happening but people are only taking notice because there's just increased coverage there's just you know there's just more news coverage on it and that's why it's a discussion but I feel like you know we were just never really aware of it but it's like always been in the background um so yeah, yeah so so I think it's it's really tough for me, um, especially because a lot of my friends are still in the States and they're all Asian women. And I really, really fear for their safety. Um, I had a conversation with some of my girlfriends in New York, and then they were saying how, you know, like one boyfriend was like, you should bring pepper spray on you. And she was just, you know, really anxious about um, and worried about how she will go from like place to place in New York. Um So it's just, yeah, I just, I'm just really discouraged by the news in America right now. And I'm glad, I mean, I'm in China. So obviously I don't feel the same sense of like everyday fear. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that, but I just can't say the same for my girlfriends um, back in the States. So yeah, it's been a heavy week. I feel like, especially also after the... The woman in London, as well. Yeah. It's, just, it's just like being a woman, and now a woman of color is just. How is it that we are we live in fear in twenty twenty one? I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I was trying to grapple with my own emotions about this. I, I was feeling very vulnerable and in, and in a, such a bad headspace the last two weeks. Um, I think the the murder, the, the tragic death of Sarah Everard was, like, <laughs> it, it was an eye-opener. And it's sad, right? Because there's actually not very, like, she and I are not very separated very much. I mean, my mm-hmm. boyfriend, Elliot's friend, knows the girl. So... Oh, my God. Yeah. So... It's just, it's so close to home. And I think for me, like, it really shows my privilege, right? Like how in the past I felt vulnerable, but I think because I lived in such a privileged bubble, you know, growing up in Malaysia from an affluent family, I never really felt that fear. And it's it's privilege is what it is, right? Until you're out in the world and when you see Like it just it just hits like so it's 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 suddenly real and then I and then I also think about all the other you know women of color who have felt this danger every day for their entire life right and how they must feel those who aren't as privileged right Um, I mean just regarding the news of Sarah Everard there was news about how um, there were other women who had gone missing in. London in the u k but they weren't paid attention to because they were black right and yeah. it's it's like you, you see so much international outrage for sir everard um, and we should not diminish that right It's good yeah. that people are talking about women's safety, but no one was really talking about women's safety when indigenous women in Canada go missing all the time, yeah. right, and their bodies are found months or years later, if ever yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just it's all so it's so emotional, it's so sad. And i I was watching a video of this seven year old uh, Asian grandma getting attacked by a thirty year old white man. Oh, Did yeah. you see that video?
1: Yeah, and then she 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 attacked him back. But the most infuriating part was he was on a fucking stretcher. Yeah, and she was just on the side with an ice pack. I was just like, damn, can white people just like learn? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, he was being,
0: like, stretched, like, sent away in an ambulance and stretching. He just looked so pathetic. I'm like, you are a pathetic human being, like, to attack people like that. Um, Yeah. Uh, I am, thank you for bringing to my attention that uh, fundraiser. So, um, I will make sure to link that in the uh, description of the episode and also on Instagram so people know where to direct their donations if they want to.
1: Yeah, I do want to know, just... I don't. I don't know if other people know it in their episodes, but as a guest on the episode, Adila um, so kindly offers a hundred pounds, and she lets you kind of. She lets you choose which you know organization you wish or community you wish to donate to, and so um, in the wake of everything that's happened, we thought it was most appropriate if we donated to the GoFundMe. Um, aapi page so yeah
0: thank you dills <laughs> um i think as as much as we can do uh, it's really important and on a related tangent another tangent um you know i was thinking about this like as a person of privilege um you know with money and um i've been really thinking about trying to channel more um like try to put the coin where my mouth is, right? So that's actually a lot of great resources on Instagram of like, you know, Rachel Cargile, um, all these greedy great black educators. Um, they also accept donations and memberships. Um, so I would encourage other people who are in the position to donate on a regular basis to do it because you're not donating to charity, you're investing in change. And that's something that um, I have been trying to uh, push myself to do more right, to commit myself to um, um, Mm anti-racism, and trying to actually dedicate uh, funds for change, which is actually an important element to it.
1: Yeah, I think it's important, especially now, because, you know, I also take part in it, you know, where you repost on Instagram and whatnot, and a lot of it can be seen as, you know, armchair activism, and that also is, like, precarious thing so yeah i also want to like hold myself accountable to that as well um so yeah we should all do our part part if we you know have the privilege to. i agree yeah
0: um but yeah thank you so much for for coming to talk to me and i i, I know it's been exhausting i'm really sorry i should have extended the option for you to to record next week no, um,
1: no it's really fun i'm so glad to just you know have something to look forward to and engage in something really, you know, um,
0: nourishing. Yeah, Uh, it's good. I that's how I find it, too. You know, like at the end of a drinking week, I look forward to these sessions with different people because it's just it brings joy to your life during some really dark times.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just finding connection and relationships. So
0: yeah for those who don't know steph and i go way back to when we were (laughs) like 15
1: (laughs) 15 oh my god 10 years ago holy crap that's insane
0: uh we were such little babies i remember like running to your room or you running to my room on campus um wow (laughs) choch really sponsored this podcast wink wink
1: Can we add to alumni?
0: <laughs> oh, we oh, will definitely add to alumni.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the one, the few good things that, no, just kidding, Cho, we love you, but <laughs> the things that came out of our experience, um, you know, are just these friendships. Yeah, so
0: there was a survey that I think Cho alumni set, sent out. It was asking, can you rank, uh, according to, from high to low, the the best things that you got out of Choate and it was like education, relationships with friends, um, personal growth or something like that. And I put at the very top it was like friends, relationship with friends. Yeah, um, 100%. that's That was really important. Um, But Choate was such a weird time like navigating such a wide space as a young Asian woman yeah. was so confusing.
1: Especially 10 years ago when really you know the landscape was the cultural landscape I feel like was so different um, yeah, I mean, like, Dills and I previously, like, talked about this, but just, you know, when we arrived on a very white campus, um, we tried so hard to fit in. And obviously, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, your wardrobe. And it's crazy and so stupid to think that, like, literally, as, as as soon as we, like, stepped on campus, we're like, we gotta buy, like, J Crew or, like, Vineyard Vines or whatnot just to, like, assimilate. And just, yeah, like, part of that weird, preppy, like particular New England culture. Um, yeah, I, I I remember that so clearly. Um,
0: and that's been ingrained in my in my childhood and my like experience as a person from such a young age, because you know, Malaysia's post-colonial country, but we still um Idolize. I don't know if that's the right word, but we still sort of uphold a lot of these like, mm-hmm. like colonial structures. So, a lot of it, when I was in school in Malaysia, for example, we had a lot of um, white teachers, you know, white teachers were prioritized over local teachers or people or, te- or teachers who were people of color. Um, we prioritized like British history. So, it was very much very like, an Anglophile kind of growing up experience. And then when I moved to the States, it was suddenly like my, my life shifted and my entire worldview shifted because suddenly it was like, and now America and America's whiteness was what I like aspired to be and mm-hmm. aspired to assimilate into. Um, wow. And, you know, when I look at your work now, I see that your perspective has completely changed. And yeah. it's also challenged me to change my perspective. And it actually also made me realize just how much my gaze is pandered towards the white gaze. Um, like I never really thought of Asian womanhood as beautiful, as sexy, because I, we've just consumed so much other content that's all about the white female form. Yeah. So um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your work and, and what inspires you?
1: So a lot of my work, I think the consistent, you know, element in a lot of my work is that I feature female protagonists, whether it's in photos or films, the, you know, the hero or the star or the subject of whatever I'm shooting will be uh, an Asian woman. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I think that was so heavily influenced by my upbringing where so I grew up in Beijing, and I grew up, you know, watching a lot of Chinese films, which I love. You know, you know, fifth-generation films like *Raise a Red Lantern* or like *Red Sorghum* and all of that um, that put like Chinese cinema on like the global map.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, I watched a lot of that when I grew when I was growing up. But then I always remember having this feeling. <laughs> which this kind of influenced my thesis for my masters, but I just remember having this thought of, wow, you know, it's actually so forward that all these male directors, you know, have female protagonists in their films, but always, always in the case of the story and narrative, these women are like victims of trauma and they always symbolize a nation suffering and, you know, like inevitably they are objects of desire and control mm-hmm. by like the male protagonists. And so I just felt like there was just such a lack of agency in those films and stories um, that it was honestly quite reflective of, you know, the, you know, the patriarchy in China, even to this day, I do feel like there is something, there's something happening right now, you know, with, with, um, women in China—that's really empowering. But you know, like ten years ago when we were at Cho and whatnot, I just—I had—I I was always aware of this. And so, but because we were at Cho, and it was such a s- small community, and everyone knew everyone, I felt like I couldn't. There was not enough space for me to grow without judgment. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, I totally feel you. You kind of feel like you're under the microscope.
1: Yeah. So yeah, like at cho, everyone knew everyone. Right. And there's just such a particular culture. And if you're not a part of this culture, then you're like exiled or whatever, you know, and, you know, as like a teen, your hormones are like whack and you just want to fit in and all that. And so I felt like I, I was so like repressed at cho, I just like never like explored the side of me. And so that really came out when I was at NYU Tisch. Um, because like NYU is such a massive school. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like in New York city. And so no one knew anyone. And so I I love the anonymity of that. And I was like, okay, like I can really just like do what I want to do for fun and not be judged about it. Um, And so the great thing about that was, yeah, I just kind of like really just went for it in college. And just like did what I wanna do without anyone caring or judging. Cause it was just like, everyone was just like on their own agenda and doing their own thing. Um, so yeah, so ever since Tish, I've really just been shooting, writing, photographing um, stories about Asian women who have agency and power and who are able to make their own decisions. And I feel like it's really, really important cause a lot of you know past cinema as well when they depict female protagonists it's usually they you know they're in their decisions the, the decisions that they make are influenced by you know the male characters you know it's just always motivated by some male presence yeah and for me, i just kind of i'm so interested in stories that are
0: devoid of that um yeah <laughs> that's So empowering and I it makes my heart just like jump a little bit inside. Um, you know, because it's it's true, you know. I feel like when you talk about having agency, um, especially for Asian women, I feel like growing up in a very patriarchal society where you know I was so used to always serving the men first, letting the men eat first. Um, and Mm. everything we do to how we dress, to what we cook, to what we say. Is catered to the male reaction. Right. Yeah. And that is something that really does a lot of damage for you as a young woman because your identity is completely formed around the other sex. Exactly. And that's so confusing when you're trying to figure out yourself, but we we trying to figure out who you are as a person out like aside from your sexuality, and then also as a woman with your sexuality. It's like yeah very very confusing yeah. you mentioned your thesis and this is something i like wanted to ask you about what was your thesis on when you were at oxford
1: oh okay so at oxford um i studied visual anthropology but i kind of took a detour of my thesis
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who um, yeah, taken the detours.
1: <laughs> but but you know my supervisors approved it so and i graduated so it worked <laughs> down yen but I basically argued how how necessary and important it is for um basically uh, females to take on roles behind the screen and off screen
0: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, I, an- I basically analyzed uh the evolution of female sexuality and power in Chinese cinema and what I so I analyzed a bunch of like past films in the 1980s and 1990s and to like express how, you know, all these films had male directors and that's why like all the females are depicted as just objects of desire and they always have the most tragic endings, you know? Um, But then once, you know, female directors or decision makers come into play, they are able to imagine new realities for women and I feel like that also reflects, you know, the current climate as well in like Chinese society itself. Cause what, why I also love film and filmmaking is cause I truly believe it's such an influential medium yeah. that can be used as like an agency for change. Like films can, you know, change laws, you know, sometimes yeah. you know, they change laws and, you know they alter the way that people think. Um, There's like censorship for a reason, you know, because it's so influential and it's so powerful. And so, yeah, I basically just argued how it's how important it is to advocate for female writers, directors, producers, executives as well when it comes to filmmaking, and how the decisions that they make can inspire posit new and positive narratives for um, women characters.
0: Yeah. And you yourself, as a filmmaker and as a photographer, um, how does your multifaceted identity influence your work? Because yes, you're an Asian woman, but you're also Asian American because you were born and you know did go to school in the states. But you also spend a lot of time in Beijing, right? Your your roots yeah. are a lot in China, um, and culturally, you kind of straddle both worlds, and that's how how I see it. So, how do you? How do, how do you balance those two perspectives? Because I feel like those two worldviews are very different culturally. Um, and I don't know, maybe they also differ in the cinema. So how do, how do you navigate that when you're producing work or pre- producing your art?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question because I, <laughs> I always think about it because I come from, I feel like, two very extreme cultures. They're very, very different from each other. And so I like to look at it in a really positive way where I feel like I'm in a really privileged position where I'm able to t- take, you know, the positive aspects from each culture and kind of create a story from that. Yeah. Um or to provide like a fully holistic view cuz you know when I was studying for my masters I had like the biggest epiphany if anything like, my master's was worth it just for this epiphany, but I was like, holy yeah. shit, we are literally thinking like white men because we are reading like philosophies and theories yeah. constructed by white men. So, no wonder we are thinking like white men and, and yeah. why we are perpetuating like, you know, all the shit that benefits white men. Yeah. And so, coming from China, I was really like hyper, like aware of that fact. And I was like, wait, no, no, no. Like when we, when we, when we make things, create things, write things, whatever, we need to be cognizant of that fact and be aware of coming from a very holistic perspective, you know, because in China, there's like Confucius philosophy or whatever, you know, there's like other ways of thinking that are so different from what we are so used to in the West. And so for me, I'm really appreciative of the fact that I can, you know, come at things from both sides of it and yeah. not just a really unbalanced um, Western way of thinking, if that makes yeah.
0: sense. No, it does. because like, I feel like that your gender identity and uh, gives you the ability to kind of like separate yourself from the patriarchal perspective from both cultures, right? So you kind of get, you're able to kind of get the best of both, both worlds, but also detach yourself uh-huh from what you don't need, right? From what art does not need, like what does not need to be reproduced in more art. Yeah. 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 Does does your process begin with reading or with films or talking with people? Like how does your process, like where does the seed come from?
1: Yeah. So this is really interesting because I I feel like I don't really like to plan my project Mm. out as much. I I, I like to have a plan because I like to have a direction but I feel like planning to the T can really, it's very forceful. And I feel like art has to come very naturally and it's very instinctive actually. Right. Um, so for me, it's just like at any moment, if I feel like I'm really interested in the topic or I can connect with it, then I will just start writing a treatment or something. And then, um, and then just like go from there. Yeah. Like I, I, and I actually never know what I'm going to like So say for like this year, like what am I going to shoot? Like I have no idea. But then mm-hmm. like the other day, like I came across this article about this new lingerie brand in China that's, you know, inspiring body diversity and positivity um, with female bodies. And I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. I related to, to it so much. I immediately wrote a treatment. Another day I, I watched like a doc about a live streamer in China and I was so fascinated with her life and how mm-hmm. she balances you know yeah her offline and online worlds and I'm currently writing something to do with that um so it's really just like what I encounter in my day-to-day and if I find something that I really connect with then I'll pursue that idea yeah um, yeah I so I, I don't really have a plan
0: but yeah I'm a Gemini so I'm an air sign <laughs> I just, I just float around yeah <laughs> so i like totally you understand i i had a tarot reading done the other day and it was like Adila, calm yourself ground yourself you're floating too much i'm like oh this is so true i don't know what to do about it um <laughs> that's really exciting about your uh that you're pursuing work with a lingerie brand um i feel like elements of Asian women's sexuality and empowerment is like a theme in some of your stuff okay. so, <laughs> the you have a couple pieces for sale on ockart.com uh-huh. and those ones really capture uh like a female body she's wearing a lingerie it's intimate um and you know if I had seen that not knowing that you, t- and
1: I'm just, I'm like still trying to pursue um, work for them. But yeah, so I did that,
0: took the photo um, and say, if I knew that it was a white guy or just a guy in general, I would have been like really put off. But knowing that it's you behind the camera, that's very liberating and very empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was gonna ask you like, is there a certain message you're trying to communicate to the viewer is, um, or is it very open-ended?
1: hmm. Um, first of all, thank you. I'm so emo by your compliments. Um, but I feel like, I feel like there is a message, obviously, because like, that's why we do the work that we do. Yeah. Um, but I never want to put anything explicit out there. Because I also like how art is able to provide a space like an individual space of reflection for viewers. And yeah. I don't want to really impose my own um, opinions and thoughts upon. Mm. But uh, for me, um, with those photos, I think also that as well just came out, came so organically. Like that was not planned. Um, really? Yeah. yeah. So this is what I'm saying. I feel like the best things just come out of it. Like yeah. usually I feel like I just do things and I don't realize I'm doing them until like after the fact. And I kind of <laughs> love that. Um, and that that's like what happened with that photo series it was just me and one of my best friends from Beijing we've we've like known each other since we were eight and we just took a road trip together um Mm -hmm. and I just basically documented that whole road trip um so so she also like models on the side as well um Yeah. yeah so it was like this really like symbiotic relationship between you know model and photographer but as well as you know a really deep and supportive female friendship. And then we just, I feel like with those photos, what we just like wanted to convey was just like a type of female friendship. And also with the ones with the lingerie, especially, I had no intention of actually having it come off as like super like intense with like, it's like hypersexuality, mm. kind of weird. Cause like when I was shooting it, I just thought it was really like intimate and um, powerful, but mostly yeah. intimate. it you was know? just like, just my friend who is so beautiful. And we were just at a fun location and, you know, she was just like really confident. And like what, what I most respect about her is how comfortable and confident she is in her own body. Something mm. that I like, really struggle with but that might be for another day as a a part of her like you know upbringing in China
0: yeah
1: um, it was like photographing her with like admiration Mm. I feel like um and I what I just wanted to convey was you know just a really like confident like kick-ass friend who just just like just one of my just like one of my best friends who's just like I I look look up to all the time. So that was really it.
0: For it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently trying to figure out which print to buy on AllCart.com. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> it's really hard. I like all three of them. Yeah,
1: it, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's in a series. So I guess it's like a weird Like, they go together, but then they could also be individual pieces as well.
0: But, yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm so glad. (laughs) Um, Are you planning on releasing more prints soon, or are you more focused on filmmaking right now?
1: I'm, like, so open to both. And I feel like with filmmaking, I think that obviously requires a lot of planning, right? Because it's a huge Mm. So I do have a lot of things in mind for that, but with prints and photos, it's, it, it's so spontaneous for me. So yeah. I, I, actually, I don't have an answer to that. I, I might have print soon. Um, cause I just like, never know what I'll like photograph. It's weird. Cause you know, as a photographer, I, especially like what you, a lot that you see on Instagram nowadays, it's like a lot of photo shoots, you know, the setups and stuff. Yeah. Yeah syndrome sometimes because i i never shoot like that And i just don't know yeah. yeah i just i just never shoot that like that i'm i'm interested in shooting like that but yeah i think like my best photos come when it's just
0: i'm just like have a camera out and then i just hit like, capture a moment yeah <sighs> that, that makes sense um anyway i'm really excited for the next release um of your prints, I will make sure to be camera ready the next time I see you in person. I'm like, oh I just still have to be another Asian female. Do you want to <laughs> yeah, I I would be glad to take a photo
1: shoot review, man?
0: I actually but, I- but every time we see each other, I'm always just like m- such a hot mess. Like the last time we see we saw, we saw each other on the road, on the road trip, not road trip. The, oh my the trip. God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really funny.
1: Wait, no, no. I, I feel like, yeah. But that's also the other thing with photo shoots that I always feel weird about just for me. Cause like it doesn't make sense. Cause as a filmmaker, you also pre plan. Yeah. Photo, I love just to capture the natural moment where mm. it's just a slice of life, like an instant in yeah. time. Yeah, an instant time. Um, so, so we'll see. I'll just like prep, have my camera ready next time I see you
0: please don't that was a joke please don't photograph me um i also don't like being in front of the camera it's really hard to get me to like take a serious photo as you know half of my photos that you take of me have my tongue sticking out
1: that is true
0: yeah (laughs) um so something i wanted to bring up because i don't know if uh, people who are going to be listening know this but your short films have premiered in a number of festivals such as lighthouse international film festival san diego asian american film festival red rock film festival anyone best foreign language short at the lady filmmakers festival congratulations number one (laughs) yeah uh, okay please um now second question where can we go and watch these shorts
1: okay yeah i'm so bad at distribution
0: is it on your website
1: it's on my website and so for for me it's just if people want to watch it they can just hit me up with a screener link uh, with a password to the screener yeah. because I don't know I'm just like so weird with my shorts I should make them public but so far it's just um if people want to watch it, I can just give them a password to my to the screeners
0: um I, something I really want to do post-pandemic is like looking back at all the different people I've interviewed and had on my podcast. I really want to have an exhibition of everybody's works. Oh, that's such a good and idea. And like just walk through an exhibit and interact and see this stuff in person and watch the films. Yeah, so something I hit you up in the future because it's something I want to do.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. I will fly there. I will fly
0: yeah. to- <laughs> <laughs> um, Honestly, I think we've covered all the questions I wanted to ask. Um, yeah. I would love to have you on again and we can chat some more and follow up um, to get an update on where you are, whether or not you finished up uh, working on the lingerie brand. Cause I know you're working on some exciting projects in Beijing right now.
1: Yeah, so in Beijing, I'm trying to pursue some brand campaigns. Um, and then the lingerie one is something I'm really passionate about, but also during COVID, I, um, I started a production company with some friends. Um,
0: oh, what's it called? I didn't know this. Yeah.
1: So it's called good behavior. And it was like literally one, the only good thing that came out of quarantine for me, but with
0: LinkedIn or your Facebook or your Instagram, I did a deep dive. Where is it? A-
1: I know it's cause we're, cause we're such, we're in such early stages and we don't yeah. want to, you, you know, we don't want to like release anything until we have something tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's with three of my friends. Um, and we basically like the log line for the company is that we are a production company that champions BIPOC. Is it BIPOC or BIPOC? I
0: never know. I use BIPOC, but BIPOC also sounds <laughs> <laughs> Uh
1: BIPOC uh, filmmakers, so writer and directors that, <laughs> that do genre and genre bedding stories because, um, so basically like, literally just came out of like us talking about cinema, Taylor, like films that we were watching.
0: Wait, who you are your friends that you're, you're doing this with?
1: So, um. So they're called. <laughs> I'm going to link them <laughs> so they know that I shout. I was like, I gave them a shout out. But they're my friends, Jung Yoon, um, Jung Yoon Kim, who I worked with on two of my shorts that I've done. He is Columbia MFA, he just graduated. Um, Christina Yoon, who is in her last year at Columbia MFA. Um, and then Lin Hao John, who is like, a huge film buff um and he's a great just a great dude but it's so random he's um a co-founder and cto of trial spark which is a healthcare startup That's um, yeah so it's the four of us and we really want to champion BIPOC genre and genre bending stories because you know we you know like, as people of color um it is so great and it is so yeah, it's just so powerful and great that films like Minari exist, right? Like, I bawled through Minari because I saw it myself. It. Oh, my God. Okay, you've got to see it. It's so, oh, my God. It's, like, stabbed in the heart, you know? Like, I'm watching it this weekend. It's my weekend movie. Yeah, no, you have to. And, like, immigrant stories and narratives are so necessary and important. Um, especially as you know, people of color, right? But for us, what we are really frustrated with is this. You know, we always encounter like when we make films as people of color. It, so if we're Asian, right, people would be like, "Okay, well, like, you know, your stories have to be about your Asianness, right? Like, you can't just be an Asian person in the story." Yeah. And so we feel like genre films are the best vehicles for that, where it's like. You know, people of color can just cast other people of color in a really fun film, yeah. and also we also feel like genre films really lend to. You know, it's like a really effective way of, um, you know, uh, of social commentary. But it's also like a very, you know, it can, it's social commentary, but it's also it can also be an entertaining film. So we yeah. think it's really effective um, genre <laughs> itself. <laughs> Air quotes, air quotes, but yeah. So that's what we we're thinking about. Like, yeah, we we champion all BIPoC stories, but for us, we um, really just want to highlight genre and genre bending films. So like thrillers, horror, sci-fi, um, stuff like that. But we're we're in really early stages and we're still um, in development. So when something happens, I will let you know, and then I'll come back.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm so excited for that. Yeah. Um, and I'm yeah, for the next time I get to see you in person.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. We have to go. We have to go to what is it? Where did we want to go last time after Bruton?
0: Suddenly, you have this like newfound love for the English countryside. For somebody, this <laughs> the UK before coming here. You were like, oh, it's so boring. People are so stiff. Especially I am like, okay. Oh, oh my God. God. Suddenly, <laughs> like, oh,
1: this is lovely. <laughs> Yeah, the Brits are going to come for me. Yeah, yeah, I know. But the English countryside is something else, man. It is something else.
0: Oh. I like you could, with your new production house. Produce um, a horror story in, like, the countryside of, uh, like, somewhere in, like, Somerset or something. Like, in a cottage Somerset.
1: house. Yeah, that's where we wanted to go. Dude, yeah, that's literally what we'd be down for.
0: <laughs> I love him. all the casts. cast. That will be amazing. Yeah.
1: yeah, like literally just like anyone, you know, like I just, I, yeah, I mean, no, for me, it's like in my stories, right. Inherently there's like stuff about Chinese culture, but I feel like for other people as well, it's like, you know, you don't always have to talk about your race, even though it does inform, you know, your character and background and all of that. But, you know, it doesn't have to always be about, you know, your harsh immigrant upbringing, you know, and like all the trauma you face, you know, like, why can't there be an ex machina with, you know, like a Malaysian lead?
0: Yeah, and it's true. I think that it's almost like the evolution of film, right? Like right now, we're in the period where we're documenting so much about how our um, race and our ethnicities, like, and our immigrant stories are have or like they're, they're center stage right now and i think where yeah. you're is like a step further right like those things can still exist they can exist in the background and yeah. they can inform the film but it doesn't necessarily have to be the main thing in the film you know exactly. and that's not diminishing its importance it's just yeah. recognizing that our experiences as BIPOC are so nuanced
1: yeah it's it's yeah that's such a good word for it it's incredibly nuanced yeah and yeah to limit ourselves to only immigrant narratives I feel like is just really disappointing because you know there's we've, we're so diverse and there's just there's just such there's just a range of stories that can be told and I think it's just how hap- it's just starting now which is great and I you know people like um, Lee Isaac Chung and like Steven Yeun and like Chloe Zhao, Lulu Wang are like paving the way
0: for we're us. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm very excited. All filmmakers that I should keep an eye on and watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I wait, is it okay if I did add something to the previous point over when we we're talking about the Atlanta attacks?
0: of course this is
1: just yeah yeah because because I I feel like I really want well I don't even know I don't even know if I have any answers but I feel like it's interesting to talk about the tax and how you know it's really a result of uh, yeah America's history with the federalization of Asian women and how problematic that is and why like I feel like cinema and filmmaking is so important so incredibly important now especially now because Hollywood is such a huge factor of perpetuating that stereotype and
0: I remember oh, yeah. um
1: like my friend and I one of my other friends and I we, we always have this conversation where we're like re-watching you know canons of like classic cinema and we're just like wait this film feels wrong, but no one is addressing it. And like, it's still known and upheld as, you know, one of like the most influential and culturally like important and relevant works. And Ooh. I especially, film film uh, yeah, for me, it was, um, so for me, the first time I remember was, um, was breakfast at Tiffany's. And I remember being like, what the fuck is this white dude wearing this like teeth trying to be an Asian man, you know? But that was like an Asian man. But for me, like, um, so diet Prada actually just posted a bunch of films and that just reminded me of the conversation that I had with a friend and he posted clips of um, scenes from like Austin powers and mean girls where it's like, these women are either super like hyper-sexualized like seductresses, you know, or they're like submissive and docile and quiet women. There's like two extremes when it comes to an Asian women and Hollywood literally is like the problem because they have perpetuated for like many years. Mm -hmm. That's why I just feel like more and more now, like I am so like riled up and like passionate about my work. Cause it's like, I want to be in control of my own narrative, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I remember reading this morning, like how the fucking police like was defending the shooter and saying like, oh, he has a sexual addiction and he shot those women because they were tempting him. And I'm like, fucking again, like, it's like, they don't exist. You know, like, I don't know. I was just, I have like no words because I'm so angry, but it's just like, you, why are you putting blame on them? Like, it's, Like, it's it's you, it's the shooter. It's, like, educate the white man, you know? It's, like, the presence of the Asian women, like, they're living their lives. Like, you know, they're they're being, like, a part of society. And it's, like, how are you placing the... I don't know. For me, I was just, like, God, like, just the white man literally just always trying to, like, regain control in the narrative. But, yeah.
0: um. It's victim blaming, right? Like, that even when people... Are just living their everyday lives. Yeah, ones that are like really victimized. The blame still goes on them because they've like, like it just constantly like women carry the burden of all the yep. men around. You know, always, always. yeah. It's it's yeah. really really exhausting because I think Asian women are. It's so ingrained in our culture that we carry the burden and the problems of the men around us and we have to answer for them. And like, actually, until you mentioned it just now, just how fired up you are about that narrative, about how they were seducing him and they were tempting him. I, it didn't register with me how fucked up that was until you said it, because for me, I'm like so desensitized to that shit because I've always had to answer for the shit that men do around me, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's not, they should stand on their own two feet and they should answer for the stuff that they do. It's why did you vote for them to do, to choose the right thing, to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I am exactly. so sorry. Thank you for bringing that up. Like, it's just, Ugh.
1: I feel like I want to get this like, no, I'm probably not going to get it tatted, but um, there's a quote that I always like, think back to, especially now that, so when I watched this documentary about Nina Simone called What Happened, Miss Simone, I think. Mm-hmm. Like she has she says, like an artist's an artist's duty is to reflect the times. And I constantly think back to it because I'm like, that's what I should be doing. Like, even though I'm so discouraged by like everything in my own, you know, in the world and also my own personal experiences, it's just like I have to keep thinking about that to like carry on.
0: But yeah. <laughs> I am so yeah. so, happy and I am so happy to see the woman that you've become. And like, oh like, I'm on my period. I feel like every time I constantly cry.
1: <laughs> no, my God, no! Thank you so much for really, like, honestly, like, for providing the space for like you know all these creator that you're interviewing, I think it's really cathartic for us to, you know, speak about this in a really safe space, <laughs> non-judgmental space. So um, yeah, I really, and really enjoy this still.
0: <laughs> and as a friend, like, I love you. I love your work. Keep, keep it up. Um, and I'm so looking forward to see the next chapter in your life and your work.
1: Thank you. I will, I will keep you updated when we shoot the horror film in Somerset. (laughs) Sounds good. I love
0: you, Jill. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Tay Time. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and follow me on Instagram at tay.time.